welcome to the Business Success Club. I want to say welcome and you are in for a treat in this group. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. And on this podcast, what we really want to establish is this. How do hardworking entrepreneurs build profitable and scalable businesses whilst having the freedom and balance to do the other things they love? like family, vacations, sports, fun, adventures, and charity. So let's tune into today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Business Success Show with me, Mac Atram. And today I have a very, very special guest. As you know, at the Business Success Show, we like to bring you expert speakers who can either inspire you, give you those golden nuggets that make a difference, whether it's strategic tips, whether it's tactics that you can instantly use or something to get you out of your own way so you can move forward. So today I'm joined by an expert in his field. He's going to tell us more about this in a moment. His name is James Richardson. And before I bring him on, let me tell you a little bit about James. James company is founder of Premium Growth Solutions, a strategic planning consultancy for early stage consumer packaged goods brands. Now, his company has worked with other companies such as Coca-Cola Venturing, uh, Hershey's company, General Mills, and so forth. So he's also, you must understand, the number one best-selling author on Amazon, his book being Ramping Your Brand, How to Ride the Killer CPG Growth Curve. That's consumer product goods, I believe. So I'm looking forward to this conversation because there's so many angles we can go with it, but essentially I want to talk to um, James and get into really how he started this business and some of the challenges he's seen, some of the things he's seen out there working with these large corporations and consumer goods brands and um, any hints and tips he's got for us. So James, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Business Success Show. Thanks for having me, Mac. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. I understand you're in Tucson, Arizona, USA at the moment, right? I am. Don't hate me. <laughs> I've, been <to> Phoenix. <laughs> I've been to Phoenix, Arizona several times, but not Tucson yet. But I won't hate you for that. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell us, tell us about what is it you do so people can really understand. For those who, who don't understand what you mean by consumer uh, product goods uh, and that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, right. Yeah, it's a funky word. Um, the investing community invented it. So I apologize. But basically, I would I define it as everything that's sold at um, ASDA for your UK listeners. Okay. You know what? With a tighter focus on the stuff that's sold at Weight Rose. <laughs> so, All right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and you know, it's stuff in the supermarket. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's $2 trillion of revenue just in the U.S. So. Uh -huh. And so you have a specialist uh, consultancy working. I do. You work with the big brands or what, what is it? No, I work, I, work with, uh, I work with fast growing early stage brands, actually. I used oh, to okay. work with the big boys and girls, the uh -huh. public firms. Um, and that's where I had the opportunity to do some some very in-depth, almost academic research on early stage growth for Coke and Hershey. Okay. And I was lucky enough through some legal loopholes from my prior company to be able to publish that um, in the book, Ramping Your Brand. And it's essentially a book on exponential growth, how 
companies like Kindbar have pulled this off, uh, and many others, to be honest, um, almost almost a hundred brands have done it in the last fifteen years, and they continue to appear. And so, it's a book on exponential growth. My consultancy is solely about exponential growth strategy. Uh, it's my niche. I'm the only one who does it in the U.S. and North America. Um, I don't. I don't do turnaround strategy. I don't rescue the failed company owned by a PE firm. I don't do that. Um, a lot. There's lots of consultants who do that work, but I don't. Your specialty so, is those early stage brands, um, product uh, consumer brands, really grow exponentially. Yeah, and they're usually, to be honest, they're usually doing really well when they hire me. Okay. Okay. So, and I tend to screen for that. And that's because I'm, I'm a class of consultant that's known as an optimizer. Got it. Okay. And how, people... do, how do they find you then? Well, I saw I'm going upwards of 7,000 copies sold right. um, globally. And there's a bunch in the UK, actually, I've sold hundreds in Britain. Okay. So, uh, and I have some word of mouth that free ambassadors in the UK, yeah. but, uh, it's the book, it's my content on LinkedIn. Um, and I have, I am a avid proponent of niche email lists. Right. Okay. Okay. And so, so I cult, I cultivate those constantly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Anyways, I'm happy to talk about that tactic no, too, if it's of interest later, but it's worked really well for me. Absolutely. I, I oh, and I have a podcast. Sorry, that was the final. And the podcast, they they, they find you through the podcast as well. Yep. For, just give us, um, you managed to niche, re, we say niche, we say niche, so I met you halfway there. Niche. You managed to niche very, very well, very tight, play, and you're the only one in the US who does it. For those yeah. people listening in who are still struggling with really finding a tighter niche so they can be that big fish in that small pond, that small niche, what advice or what um, what tips could you give in terms of discovering your, your, your really close, tight niche? Um, I think that you know, there's a couple of ways. There's a book I actually recommend. So I'm just going to say it because it helped yeah, me. Absolutely. Um, and I'm not a jealous author by any means. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and that book is um, The Business of Expertise by David Baker, B-A-K-E-R. Uh, give him some money on Amazon and get his book. Uh, if, if this topic matters to you, because he's done the research. Mm -hmm. He's done the statistical research inside a large pool of B2B service provider, uh, professional service providers. Got it. Um, so he knows his stuff and uh, that his book guided me. But basically what I would say, just from my own perspective, sure. is that you have to find, um, you need to look in the world of high ambition in your industry, wherever that is, like what defines high ambition or the most ambitious success endpoint. Okay. In my, in my industry, that's getting to nine figures, which right. basically never happens because if you can get to a hundred million dollar plus business in food, beverage, or personal care, the odds are pretty high that you will either um, sell to a big public firm for a multiple, right? Um, or you'll sell to a private equity firm, which is kind of, it's less successful at exit, but you'll still make money, right? And you'll make millions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So these are, these are the exits we read about in the media. Right. Yeah. So that's the client base I want. 
Got it. Got I don't it. want to work with anybody else. <laughs> or at least I, if I work with them, I define it more almost as a philanthropic help. And I do do that work. I do, I do off-menu, low-priced work with women and minority founders because I just feel they're so disadvantaged. And I, and I have ways to quickly help them. And I do that on the side. I don't really, it's not on my website. So right. the work, but the, the public facing client work that I do, I want to work with the people who want to become huge. Good, good. I think it's great. So that, so then I've got this high ambition group, right? And so if you could find what success is mm. and then be able to speak that language, that then you, so then that's the definition. The second one is you've got to work with a client and do something for them in that zone. Or in my case, I had was lucky and had done both, worked with such a client, and I had also had this body of research that was incredibly unique. Okay. The latter you're on the unlikely to have, mm-hmm. but you can use a couple clients, and they're probably the most successful clients you've had. And then, you know, what you need to do is create a positioning in which um, you go out to the world in your industry and you say, hey, I've worked with these folks. This is how they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I have a plan and a system to get you there. Right. And blah, 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 blah. Now, it's a lot easier to do that with a book. It's like vastly easier to do that with a book mm-hmm. than it is to do that with just a web page. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to exaggerate the ease that this is going to, you know, no, and I so get you know, in what you're saying there, and then, and I can see the reason why you called the book what you did, because it says everything in the title. It just says everything. You know, when I first read it, I said, ramping your brand, how to ride the killer, what? The killer CPG. What is CPG growth curve? And obviously, I looked further into it, and I realized, okay, those who understand it know what CPG is. Those who are yeah. referring it, they understand it. So I like that. I like I the like second that. edition Mac will probably have a better subtitle. Just so you know. Okay. Okay. Well, what do, what do we in, what's the inkling? What is it going towards? Have you had a? I, I it's actually gonna it's actually a linguistic puzzle, and I have not solved it. But I want to I want to replace CBG with consumer brand. Okay. Because that that's the CNN phrase that everyone understands. <laughs> I get that one. I, I, get that. <laughs> I get that straight away. Hey, James, how did you get? involved in this what what's your backstory what's the origin story how did you yeah mine is super um super weird so hopefully it's entertaining in fact i do have a little four minute video on my website if you, if you really want more but um mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm a, i'm a cultural anthropologist by training i i left academia cultural anthropologist very, yeah very early on i actually i'm a specialist in south asia okay I'm, I'm one of very few white people who's fluent in Tamil, a South Indian really? language. Um, I know it. South and, Indian, Chennai, Madras, yes, uh, yeah. Lanka. Yeah, I know it. I've yeah. got a lot of clients in the area. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I left academia for many reasons, uh, mostly personal, actually, mm. uh, uh, and lifestyle related. And, and so I had to find my way in the business world, in, in normal white collar work. And I wound up in market research. Fast forward, you know, after working in market research and then moving into strategy consulting with big companies on the basis of um, a bunch of proprietary data sets and knowledge around the consumption of natural organic products, Mm. which is what my old firm, the Hartman Group, is an expert in. 
I did the research in the last, like with a team with the last five years that led to this book. Okay. Although the book was published when I went out on my own. The inspiration to jump was that I wanted to, I realized we were sitting on this research about the patterns, the, um, the tactical moves and the strategic thinking patterns behind some of these exponential growth brands like Kind and Vita Coco Coconut Water and Skinny Pop Popcorn. And these are US-based brands yeah. um, mostly. But when we when the team and I got behind the patterns, we realized that, you know, this there's a repeatable model here. Like it wasn't just, it wasn't actually just dumb luck. Well, yeah, because I mean, the exponential brands in CPG at any given moment, it's about 2% of the companies out there. Okay. Right. So it's very rare, but it's not minuscule. I mean, it's not undiscoverable, right? It's not like less than 1%. <laughs> so, so, you know, they are there. So we're and, still talking about billions of dollars worth of revenue, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And more importantly, these are gr companies growing 100% year over year or more, mm. you know, maybe sometimes 200% year over year. And, you know, when you, when you accelerate to that degree at 15 or 20 million and it starts doubling for five years, you become a very big company very fast. Right. Yeah. And suddenly you seem to come out of nowhere, right? And so it's strategically a brilliant growth model um, because what you're doing is you're actually underserving the demand out there by restraining distribution and actually controlling and throttling sales to make sure you're only selling to, to the most heavy users possible and to your biggest fans. And, oh, okay. and, and by throttling that growth and really pounding away on the high, productive, high productivity consumers, which, which are, who are much more profitable, like vastly more profitable to serve, mm -hmm. you grow your distribution very carefully as you get big. And um, with every bit of distribution growth, if you do this right, you get massive waves of revenue growth because you've built a system and a playbook that is producing unbelievable amounts of revenue for every store. But you can't, you can't pull this off unless you do the first five years right. Okay. And that means you have to really hone your offering. You have to really understand it. You have to understand the, all the tactical moves in your playbook, which you can repeat from market from city to city. Mm. Um, and generate the same result. It's a scientific process of understanding what's going on with your business. And, you know, to European investors, this is not, this is kind of how they approach investing anyways in CPG, uh, i.e. they're pretty conservative. But in America, this, my book is heresy. I mean, there's an investor conference going on right now in Santa Monica, where I guarantee you there are people talking about this book and there's a whole bunch of investors who are basically peeing all over it. Oh, really? Oh, what's yeah. The basic, what's the investors, basic uh, investors hate me, Mac, because yeah, this well, book, this book tells you. Well, first of all, if you build a brand the way that I talk about, right. and then you go to a private equity firm to raise fifteen million dollars, you will have the leverage, not them. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, because you won't be a failed company. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. right. And what that means is you'll control the board, even if you take their money. Now, if you're a failed company mm -hmm. whose balance sheet is upside down mm -hmm. and some PE firm sniffs around and thinks that they can turn you around, now they have the leverage, they will control the board and you've lost control of your company. And that's a whole business model in the United States. Got it. Right. Um, I don't have any respect for it. It's, I think it's completely unethical, yeah. um, absolutely unethical to the bone. It's predatory. Uh, it continues to happen in the U.S., and that's because there's a 
there's enough Wall Street money going into PE firms that's looking for, they just want to get inside a balance sheet and they just want to get a return in three years. Right. Right. So they'll do whatever they need to do to rip whatever out. And yeah. No, it's entirely predatory behavior. And these guys are very slick. They're very, you know, they're very well-educated, well-spoken people. Yeah. And they're, some of them are sociopaths, to be honest with you. So they're master, some of them are master manipulators. I mean, yeah. and investment banking is full of those folks. Now, some of them are really nice. Yeah. Some of them are great, but it's a dangerous world. And so what's happened is a lot, the, the, the bad investors really don't like this book. You know, because the, it, it's challenging the validity of their playbook. Because I've, I've actually run the data and they never have. Okay, there you go. So this is this book is based on large randomized data sets. This is not just my thoughts based on working with three clients. Hard data. <laughs> Got, it. Got it. You know, and the reality is that the playbook that investors promote in the U.S. for a lot of these early stage brands, it doesn't work. Okay. And I can prove it. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. they don't. They really don't want someone to come out in public. They can't control who talks like this, so they don't like me. So that you won't be getting an invitation onto that platform then to come. No, <laughs> I have no interest in being associated with them. I yeah, I would never speak at an investor conference. I if you go to my LinkedIn profile, yeah. if you go to my LinkedIn profile, it says I don't work with investors and I don't take their referrals. Right. Okay. Man of value. <laughs> because kind of, yeah. and, you know, I originally thought I might work with them because I figured. Well, they have a pile of capital that I can charge a decent fee. I, the, the usual crass motives that a consultant would have to work with, a, with an investor. And I fell into that as well. And then I started to meet them and I didn't like them. Mm, I, don't like I, I didn't like the people. Right. I didn't like their behavior. And I'm like, well, then I have to be associated with them. And then I started to learn that actually there's this horrendous um, tension between investors, institutional investors and founders in the United States. And that tension is created by the bad behavior of institutional investors who are, you know, aren't regulated. They're Shots. not, there's no way to control them. Yeah. So I didn't want to get caught up in that. I, I, I see. I right. See the point. And I also learned at the same time this, that investors in the U S at least, they tend to refer third-party consultants like me, especially high level ones yeah. to turn around a disaster basically to bully the founder. Wow. That's not, that's not good. That's I not good. have no interest in behaving that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to sleep well at night, not, not shafting people. Just, uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to be the investor's sort of whipping boy uh, or you know, the puppet for the ventriloquist investors. So I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. It's, not, I, it's just not how I'm built. I'm a social scientist. I'm a liberal-minded humanist. I mean, I just, I just don't think you treat people like that just because there's money involved. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I, I hear you. you know, you've got a conscience. So that, 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 that says a lot. How does a, a cultural anthropologist move into consumer brands? What happened? What was the transition? I know you were... Uh, the transition, Mac, was extremely awkward. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, the thing about what I learned in retrospect and I wish someone had told me that as the transition was happening, because I might have, I might have calmed down a lot more than I did. Um, but I, you know, people like myself who tend to, I would call, uh, you know, the people. There's a subset of people who get PhDs who are actually highly curious, overachieving people, and I've always been that. Right. That kind of doctoral graduate actually um, has a very high potential to do almost anything they want in any career. 
It's simply a matter of applying that curiosity and that fanatical desire to learn to a new, to a new subject. And so that wasn't very hard for me. Um, I just had to figure out how to frame business in a way that I could swallow it because I, <laughs> I come from a fairly left-wing background, as you might imagine. And so capitalism to me is suspicious. <laughs> so, so I had to figure out how could I work in this world uh, and feel like I was contributing something of value. Mm. Um, and that wasn't very easy, to be honest with you. And one of the reasons that I work for myself now is because I didn't find a satisfying resolution to that working for big companies. Right. Um, but what I did was I used that time to develop the skills that I would need to work on, work on my own. And I think that was a delayed and awkward process. And it was self-guided. You know, there was nobody telling me to do this or helping me. Um, but people who get graduate degrees like tend to be voracious readers and learners. And I think that's the, the fundamental skill in, in business. And when you're on your own that you need to apply. Mm. Um, and don't listen to somebody who says, well, this is your degree is an X. And so you can't do this. I mean, I had, you know, I mean, for look at me, so <laughs> I should not even be here. Right. So I have venture, I have private equity firms, uh -huh. serial entrepreneurs endorsing my book, Harvard Business School professors. Um, yeah. The content matters, guys. Hmm. <laughs> if your content is crap, then you're not going to get endorsements and nothing's going to happen. Um, but if your content is world class, people today don't care whether you went to Harvard or whether you had the right degree. So that's the lucky thing about right now. Yeah. Uh, and so people should take advantage of that, but it doesn't take, it doesn't remove the responsibility for producing good content and good thinking. That, that's still important. Yeah. So it's just, go ahead. You, you, one of the key things you talk about is how consumer brands can scale profitably and quickly. So what are the, you know, what are the two or three things, yeah. probably more than three, but tips that you say, look, if you've got a consumer brand, whether it's, it's in health and beauty, whether it's in mm -hmm. food, uh, or nutrition or whatever. Here's some quick tips that 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 you might want to know. To scale, you want you want to design you want to design an offering in a category mm. where where your offering is unleashing a new outcome or okay. a new benefit that didn't exist in the category before. That's a massive tailwind for any kind of growth business and consumer brands. Not that easy, what I just said. Yeah. But it generally is what's going on. If you can bring that that very large scale, high potential existing outcome, in other words, one that's embedded in our culture now. Okay. Not some not something super niche, uh -huh. but an existing mass market outcome like weight management is probably the most lucrative. If you can hook your train to that through your design in the right category, um, and then take your offering to specific subpopulations that are highly networked. And what I mean by highly networked is that they are high, high intensity, mm -hmm. potentially even competitive social networks with intense shared values and rituals and behaviors. And, and I'm, I know I'm sounding very academic, but what we're talking about are things you all know well, what I'm hearing, like, like, like athletic, like, like recreational athletic community. Yeah, right? like, yeah, yeah. So in, you know, I worked for a brand last year um, that built a hard kombucha brand, which is a new category in the U.S. taking off really fast. It's, it's alcoholic kombucha. Mm -hmm. um, and it tastes like wine. Okay. But it has half the calories of wine. Right. 
okay. half the okay. calories. Half. <laughs> so, um, and you know, this was created by some surfer dudes in San Diego, and you know, for lack of a marketing budget, they mm -hmm. simply hawked it in their own athletic world, Makes and sense. it literally exploded. <laughs> Because if you've ever hung around with surfer clicks, there's like the surfer dudes, and then there's the surfer wannabes who stare at them on the beach. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so you have this viral, viral word of mouth social network potential in those kinds of social worlds. And you only need five to 10,000 heavy users of your product in one city to create a multi-million dollar business just in that city. In CPG. 10,000 critical mass to yeah so these are he heavy users somebody who consumes your product daily or multiple times a week right 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 and so um if you can and the way you do that is you you birth the brand inside a really hyper cool social network so it's you're leveraging um you're leveraging the tools of how social networks persuade people that things have value and and that can't be replicated in instagram Mm. Okay, so so you're inserting yourself into a real world. Okay, you get you get a very high degree of your early consumers who are heavy users when you do this, and that's what happened to June Shine. So they're making a lot of money, Mac, with very few customers, Amazing. like very few. Um, I think that they even got to like five million just in San Diego. Insane. In San Diego, I, I there are hundreds of CPG businesses, Mac, that go nationwide, two thousand stores, and don't have five million dollars in revenue because they don't have any fans. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because their thing is crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I get it. That's so, so this is the sociology behind creating this kind of high efficiency CPG business. Yeah. And then what happens is, as you really get bigger, as you hit approach hundred million dollars, you know the. Per most of your customers now will not be heavy users, but you'll still have that nucleus right. of these people. Yes. And you're making literally five to 10 to 20 times the annual revenue off that one heavy user as you are off one guy who just has it randomly when he walks into the store twice a year. Got it. That's a great fit. So that's, and the book talks about how to, how to do this and how to measure some of the key performance indicators um, through surveys and other techniques so that you can get a sense early on whether you've created this. Uh -huh. um, and uh, so that's, it's about, op, you know, it's about inserting your brand into real communities who are going to value this new outcome you're bringing into the category, right? I had another, I had another client, uh, personalized beauty client, uh, okay. you know, and they're D2C, right? So it's, a, it's actually fairly easy to get when you're selling $150 orders, it's pretty easy to get, right. you know, okay. high ROAS advertising yeah. on, on social when you have a ticket price that high, because you can pay $20 for them to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're more than happy to do that. Um, and so they got the thing humming, but they, you know, the, um, the, uh, what was I going to say? The, the power of that business was bringing this outcome of simplicity. Right, okay. because there's a there's a group of women who are really into beauty and facial appearance. Yeah, and they're into it in a high stakes manner, but but they're not professional about it. Right. Okay. So they're not they're not an actress who right literally has a staff to manage their skincare. Uh huh. Because you'd be an idiot not to. 
Yeah. So, you know, they basically have outsourced it. <laughs> so, but then there's this other group of people who care about it, who have money, but the, what they don't want to be doing is constantly guessing and futzing with 12 different products. Right. Okay. Right. So you, what you do is you sell them, you, you sell them the promise of we've tailored this to your skin based on a, on a very long quiz that you take. And so it's literally, Oh wow. It's not a uniform brand. It's your skincare regimen. Clever. Very clever. Right. So, um, so charge more for that benefit. It's also very new to beauty. Um, and uh, it's also very unlikely that a big company like L'Oreal would ever waste their time chasing it. They might buy one of these companies, but they're not going to do it themselves because their bureaucracies are set up to mass produce uniform widgets that's at, at the tune of hundreds of millions of units a year. Correct. And their factories are set up that way. So um, cr creating a factory that has maybe 300 permutations versus one permutation, they wouldn't know how to do that. And they wouldn't like the idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so a lot of what my clients are doing are, re are tweaking, they're kind of subverting usually some critical components of the CPG business model of big companies. And they're flipping one or two of those on their head. Wow. Uh, and th those are the people I like to work with because they're, they create insulation from competition because nobody will chase them. Yeah. Um, You've got you know, a very it, tight niche. You've got a very, yeah. very tiny. And obviously you're very, very smart and very clever at what you do, which, which is fantastic. I can see why you are in demand. I can see why these people find you and come after you. Tell me something. Um, how can social science, which you know a lot about, yeah. improve growth strategy for a business? So I think, you know, I was just touching on a little earlier. One of them is this notion of um, finding pockets of growth for your business, wherever it is, that are based on uh, locating knit pockets of, of uh, or social networks, essentially. Okay. Um, defined usually by lifestyles behavior, recreational behavior, right. or um, occupational behavior. Those are the two buckets in the modern modern world, modern urban world that tend to produce these high value networks. And if you can get yourself inserted in them um, through not very expensive campaigns uh, of various kinds, and sometimes it's it's literally showing up at events. Right, right, right. Um, if you believe in the model of finding just the right people who are highly likely to convert into becoming heavy users, then you don't need to have a scale outreach program, if that makes sense. You don't need yeah. television mass advertising. No. Television mass advertising generally, first of all, it doesn't work that well anymore for anybody. No. That, that, that's the deep, dark secret of advertising. But the, one, the brands that it does work for tend to be um, uh, very high ticket price companies that are legacy brands, usually automotive, cruise, cruise lines, stuff okay. like that, because they're reminding you. Reminding you that Carnival Cruise Lines exist. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the cost of the ads are immaterial to Carnival because they're going to get five grand from every group that comes on the bo on board. So, it's just yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, they don't care what the per impression costs of their ad campaigns are. Trust me, it's not a concern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Fantastic. But in my world, you know, if you're trying to sell like more Ritz crackers, yeah, advertising is becoming profit less. Mm. You know, so you get the reminder effect, but they're actually losing money. Um, because of the costs of mass advertising. So you, for very low costs, you could go, um, you could literally go to a trade show or a sales conference mm -hmm. like Salesforce 
and do guerrilla marketing there or, per, or permission-based marketing at the event for a modest fee. Yeah. Uh, and if you have something that's, that sa- professional salespeople would totally go for, whatever that is, based yeah. on their, their lifestyle patterns. Right. Okay. If your thing is perfect for that kind of person, they will, it will spread like a virus. And you will get faster conversion to heavy usage than if you just, I don't know, bought national television ad during a football game. Yeah. Where 95% of the people don't care about your thing. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so remember, I'm in the world of premium price goods, Max. So yeah. it's really hard not to do niche business strategy because yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you're- as I said in my book, in the beginning of the book, <laughs> 90% of people won't pay a price premium in your average food, beverage, or beauty category. They won't do it. And this is where you come in. So <laughs> you've got to create something so compelling that they're willing to pay 100% more. Yeah, I get it. So, <laughs> you know, um, I want to say, before we start wrapping up in a moment, I want to say, for those people who want to reach out to you, you've given some great golden nuggets here, some great tips, which is fantastic. I know it's only a scratch of <laughs> the surface, really. And I know there's more in a book, and I know there's more in your podcast, and I know there's more in terms of what you do. What's the easiest way for um, people to reach out to you or connect with you? Um, I would say, you know, they can always, I'm always happy to have listeners contact me. Uh, at admin at premiumgrowthsolutions.com. Yes, that's screened. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I'm a one-person uh, yeah. band with a, with a virtual assistant. So, um, and I, I generally reply to everybody somehow. So, so oh. I'm happy to take questions that way, but uh, you can also go to my website, premiumgrowthsolutions.com. If you are in this, sec- in this world of consumer brands and you want some free resources, there's lots of stuff on my site. And of course, my um, my blog. Your blog, you got the book. Um, I would I would say for easy entertainment. Yeah. If you like how I talk, then you should listen to Startup Confidential, which is my Anthony Bourdain style uh, podcast on the consumer packaged goods industry and its ups and downs. I talk about all the stuff no one else wants to talk about, and it's mostly the dark and depressing stuff. But it's stuff people need to know. Um, because like I said before, I want, <laughs> I'm a founder ally. I want to per- help founders professionalize. Yeah. You know, just like I learned the business world coming from left field. Yeah. <laughs> I know it, I know it can be done. And yeah. so I live to help people figure that out. Um, otherwise, this is just a game of rich, white uh, serial entrepreneurs. And I find that depressing and it's, you know, it, it's elitist and it's ridiculous. <laughs> You heard it it from Jamie Richardson. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. So connect with him at premium, premium solutions.com. He's on the right side of doing these things ethically, (laughs) morally, legally. That's why I thought it's so important to have him on this show. If you're going to do something in life, we only have one life. Do it right. Do it correctly. Sleep well at night. Help other people make a difference. So James, I want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for your commitment to really making a difference uh, and uh, especially in the niche that you're in, but it's yeah. not just about the niche, it's about the wider impact it has on, on wider society. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You're very welcome, Mac. It's been fun. Absolutely. I, I say so too. Until our paths cross again, thank you and keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. 